that that sense of swimming in the sea every day you're kind of strengthening that muscle that sense of showing up that sense of building momentum that sense of overcoming your natural you know desire for comfort and kind of finding comfort in discomfort in a weird way I founded the Beware Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin. In today's episode, we explore how to find positivity. We've all received that well-meaning advice from friends and family to just stay positive. But sometimes the challenge is greater than expected. It can feel really hard to find the motivation to focus on the positive when positive seems like nothing more than wishful thinking. Do you ever wonder why some people seem more positive than others and how they get into that focused, challenged mindset? Well, to help me explore this further, I bring on two of the most positive people I think I've ever met. I speak to Stephen Flynn, who is one part of the happy pair with his twin brother, Dave. We explore how to create a positive lifestyle and why a strong support network is so important when making long-lasting change. The Happy Pair started back out in 2004 with Steve, Dave and a tiny shop and a dream of helping people to eat more veg. Fast forward 15 years, The Happy Pair now consists of over 40 products, a suite of online courses, two whole food retail cafes and shops, and a range of cookbooks, a farm, a roastery, and most importantly, a community of over 1 million people living together happily and in a positive way. Their mission is still the same, to create a healthier, happier world and build a community. Before we jump into this episode, one last thing to tell you all about, just in case you haven't heard, the Be Well Collective are opening their doors to you and that is everyone. You can come along to our workshop next week, which is hosted online, where we give an open talk on how to build resilience and deal with rejection. It's something I feel we all need to learn to help cope with the daily stresses which come our way. These preventative tips and tools are so important to give us that stability that we all need from time to time. I'm thrilled to open these workshop doors to everyone, no matter who you are, and build our community further and wider. Because from this podcast, you'll realise that community is one of the most important things to the foundation of our mental well-being. Just for this UK first-time workshop, tickets are going on sale for a discounted rate of £5. So please head to the Be Well Collective website where you can buy your discounted £5 ticket to the workshop next week. And myself and all the Be Well Collective team really hope we can see you there. Steve from the Happy Pair, welcome to Live Well Be Well. How are you today, firstly? Thanks for coming on. 
Sure, great. Delighted, delighted to be here. I was up, um, I did a lovely lot. You know, when you have one of those moments, like I went up a friend that I've recently kind of got to know and he's big into speaking Irish and I'm back learning Irish. And, you know, we were just, we were sitting chatting Irish one day and he just sat beside me, started talking Irish. And it turns out he's an organic farmer and he was up planting, there's over 700 different varieties of heritage apples. And he was up grafting on some of these older varieties of apples onto crab apple rootstock. So it's a bit like a crab apple tree grows really, really quick. So it's like he used the example that the crab apple rootstock is like it's like an athlete. And then they were grafting on. They said he, he kind of gave the reference, the scientific brain, the scientist brain on top of an athlete's body to get this like really delicious tasting apple tree that would grow really, really fast. So we were up. I was up helping with that. And then we were harvesting some oats with an old school sickle because uh, Jason wanted to dry out the oats to start making oat baskets. So it was, it was a bit of fun. And then we had lunch in the middle of the oat field. It was lovely. So that was my, my last Your day hours. just sounds blissful. I'm yeah, not yeah. going to repeat what my day was. <laughs> it was nothing like that at all, but I wish it was. I wish it was. Anyone yeah. listening to this wants your Friday right now, I can imagine. And not every day is like that. That was, that was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> Do you know what? I feel like your days are there because you're such a positive account to follow. So the happy pair for anyone who doesn't know, um, you've obviously been on a mission to try and get people to eat healthily and more fruit and vegetables for quite a while now. And you've just exploded and created such an incredible brand for yourself over the last 15 years. And I also love that your mission has been a big part of my mission as well to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables um, and more plant-based foods Uh, but you really have pioneered that field and your account honestly watching you do your morning swims in the cold water is I feel like I've done the morning swim afterwards (laughs) but I'm really kind of you know it's just infectious and you have such a positive mindset which is amazing especially after the last year we've all had Um, you know how do you keep such a positive mindset and have that kind of energy every morning yeah wow good thank you for all the nice comments and all that uh how do we keep um i, th- I think I, I was like chatting with it was like chatting with i can't remember who i was chatting with there and i think so much of life is momentum and inertia mm-hmm. and i think you know the more you can surround yourself with good people and good habits the easier it is to sustain it because mm. I don't think myself or my twin or others that, that are kind of part of our lives, no one's any special genetically. I think it's just our environment that forces us to express more positive feelings or emotions. And we're very fortunate the lifestyle we've managed to create here. Like we, I live right beside the cafe. And if I'm really honest, like part of the reason why we started our business, The Happy Pair, almost 17 years ago was to try to create a business that would support the lifestyle that we wanted to live because we knew that back we changed our diet to to start eating a plant-based or vegan diet about 20 years ago and it was very strange and weird back then and especially coming back we were you know it was easy to to eat that way when I was you know living on my own in a different town or different city but when I came back home there was a lot more social conditioning like what you mean you're not eating meat who are you you're like that's not you you know this type of thing so I knew if I wanted to sustain these new lifestyle habits, we needed to create an environment that supported it. So mm-hmm. I think we're very fortunate that way. And in terms of swimming in the sea, oh, we love it. It's such crack. And crack not meaning the drug, but crack, <laughs> meaning the Irish word, which means fun. 
like there's such a sense of joy and there's such a sense of like there's so many days that I'm walking down in winter and it's manky and it's miserable and the wind is hissing you're going like why am I doing it this is stupid like are you fucking mad and we get down to the sea and you kind of tug off and you're like oh this is ridiculous but you meet someone and you have a little bit of a chat and then you go in together and it's you know that expression that um, nothing brings people together than a common enemy. And I think that sense of having to face your fear is in the cold and trying mm-hmm. to embrace yourself in that cold really brings you closer to someone. And I think, oh, excuse me there. Um, and, and I think similarly, if there's something so leveling about no matter if someone's a judge or someone is a, a bin man or someone is a baker or a candlestick maker you stand in this you stand on the beach in a pair of togs afraid to get into the cold water you all feel the same there's no hierarchy it's very egalitarian in that regard and you get in you come out feeling just <gasps> like grateful and just it brings you back to your present moment i think it takes us out of our head out of our very you know rational brain and i think it's just yeah we find it very enriching i mean it's i mean i wish i had it's the willpower i did go in the sea in Cornwall I think last October I managed I think a minute and then I ran out but it is kind of getting having that every day that is that is a very strong willpower to get into that water because it's so much easier to say no oh totally go in totally but but I think there's so much in that feeling uh, like that one's ability to lean into discomfort and to embrace Mm. it I think modern day life is set up for us you know human part of the human existence is we want to be energy efficient we want to be kind of somewhat sedentary in a way like it's Mm. but it's that's not necessarily in our best interest in terms of our mental health or our physical health and i think you know even someone told me there that um what do you call that that um the old greek philosophy spart not spartan to be what's the one that marcus aurelius used to come back to me now but they 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 strongly believed in the sense of discomfort and that Mm. i mean i'm trying to remember the name there is something about being in a discomfort zone that creates a positive change isn't there but but it's that sense of like you know say you you, before you're doing a talk you feel nervous and it's like Mm. nerves are kind of almost like a reference point that you're worried that this is something important to you and that sense of it brings this heightened awareness and if you can manage to channel it once you get beyond it, there's this wonderful euphoria. And I think so much of life, you know, if we shirk down to our challenges, we don't necessarily get to experience what's beyond them. Because I, I know even myself, just use the example that, like in the cafe, to use the example of working in the cafe. So we have a few cafes and often you'd be working in one and be really stressful, really busy. And you're kind of, you're just short staffed. And I'm, I'd call Dave, Dave, I need you down here. And as soon as I call Dave, it kind of subsides and it's fine. So I think it's, and then suddenly he's like, why'd you call me? And it's like, you know, that moment of where you're just, you're in desperation. But if you can push through that, often there's this, you know, feeling of, oh, all is well, all is okay. It's like that panic mode, isn't it? And I go into that panic mode. And then we all do. We all do. And I think it's the ability to maintain some degree. And that's what I think that, that sense of swimming in the sea every day, you're kind of strengthening that muscle, that sense of showing up, that sense of building momentum, that sense of overcoming your natural, you know, desire for comfort and kind of finding comfort in discomfort in a weird way. Mm. Well, I think like fear and excitement are very similar emotions. They're not that far mm. apart. Um, mm. And so, you know, that excitement that you can get before doing something that you really love, the fearful side of it also can kick in and you can sometimes get, you know, you really want to get in that water, but also you're quite fearful that it's going to hurt. Oh, totally. It's going to be yeah, really think, cold. 
I think you're so right. Like, even if you look at Spanish, nerviosa is the word for, for nervous. And, you know, in, in English, we see nervous as a negative thing, whereas nervous can re refer to being excited and nervous. And I think they're both two sides of the one thing. And it depends on which, which whether you want to look at the glass full or the glass empty. But they're, they're a similar emotional state. Totally agree. Yeah. So going back to, because you said so much in the opening kind of question that I asked, 20 years ago, you decided yeah. to go vegan. Now, I didn't grow up in London, but I didn't grow up in Ireland either. I grew up kind of an hour outside London. But I think when you live in a city, it's quite easy to make these transitions because, you know, it's always a bit more forward thinking and it's a bit more head of the curve. And but when you kind of come out of that, actually, it's it is harder. So you made a decision 20 years ago to go plant based in kind of not a, in a big city either. How did you find that? Because there must have been a lot of barriers to you kind of you said creating community really supported you. And I think that is really important to making change but you know how did you get to that conclusion 20 years ago of actually I'm going to start changing my diet but also kind of my headspace and you know my mental health towards this because even 20 years ago even 10 years ago mental health wasn't talked about and I know that from yeah. studying 10 years ago everyone thought I was crackers starting nutrition oh, I don't think nutrition was even a term back then my dad didn't know what it was. So, I mean, you, you were 10 years before me of that. So kind of how did you get to that place of actually this is how I want to start living my life? Yeah, I, I, I can't say, like, I can, I can explain it really, and it sounds really succinct looking retrospectively back on it. But in the moment, it was kind of like just following my curiosity you know, just mm. literally sniffing around. There was no logical preconceived five-year plan. I'm going to do this. It was more like, that seems interesting. Let's see what that happens. Oh, that seems interesting. Let's see what happens. So to give a context, we grew up in Greystones, County Wicklow in Ireland. So it's a bit like the Shire, you know, we're by the sea. There's mountains to one side. It's very lovely. And we live in a small Georgia. little town, quite a conservative town back then. Um, you know, but it was, everyone knew each other. It was a real little community, lovely little place, like gorgeous. We, we had a very, I guess we're very fortunate in our upbringing. Uh, but we grew up eating a meat and two veg diet, burgers and chips. We went to all boys schools, pints at the weekend, finished school, wasn't sure what we were into. And, um, you know, cause I guess school for us, you were kind of taught to pass exams and, you know, jump through the mm -hmm. hoop. So we weren't so good at necessarily thinking for ourselves. And it was like, dad, what do we study business? Yeah, great. Okay, cool. Yeah. So. Went to university, studied business. And when we were studying business, we were very much like somewhat in maybe a subversive manner sold to the American dream. Make loads of money and have loads of material success. And then you'll be happy, lads. I was like, great. We're going to be millionaires by 30. We're going to be like, we're going to have private islands by 40. This is me and Dave scheming. Uh, and, you know, we were kind of debating, Dave, like, what do you reckon? Will we become like, for, uh, like investment bankers or accountants or something like that. That's an easy way of making loads of cash. And then we can do what we're interested but for whatever reason, something didn't necessarily sit. It didn't, when it came to that moment of signing up, um, you know, to one of these companies, it was like, I don't know, I just can't do it. It doesn't feel right. So at the time, a friend was turning 40, this guy, Tommy Kelly, a friend of ours. And he said, lads, do you want to do a marathon in celebrations? Like, great, cool. Sounds like a great idea. And, uh, you know, that was it. We didn't really give it another thought. And at the time, mom had bought us a ticket to go interrailing around Europe. So we were going traveling around Europe, kind of getting drunk. And we kind of forgot to train. 
And we came back and it was a month before the marathon. I was like, geez, Dave, we must train for the marathon. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, we really should, go, shouldn't we? <laughs> uh, and this, I think we were 20 at the time. And um, at the time, the internet really wasn't around, at least in our, our hometown. So we went to the next best thing. We went down to the local library. We went to the library. And do you have any books on detox? Because I remember sitting in biology class beside a friend, Keith Barry, and he used to talk about this thing called detox. And it was like, he didn't really know what it was. I didn't know what it was, but it was meant to be good for you. So they, they said they didn't have a book, but there was one in Dublin and that they'd get it and it would be here next week. And we said, great. So a week later, we got the book and we we're reading through the book and it was like, great, brown bread, yeah, cool, great. Porridge, yeah, great, great, great. You know, loads of vegetables, great, great, great. And the big one was no booze. And it was like, don't know if we can do this, Dave. But we said we'd try it. So we tried it for the month and we did our bit of training and the marathon came and we won it. No, we didn't. That was a joke. But we did the marathon. <laughs> what we a did story. The- what a story. <laughs> but we, we, we did the marathon and, you know, we felt really good. And it kind of felt more, I don't know, somewhat more congruent in ourselves. And I remember the marathon was the end of October in Dublin. And uh, Christmas was, you know, what, two months away. And we said, Let, let's see if we can, like, stick with this for two months. Just try it. And then we'll meet the lads, like, because we went to an all-boys school. We'll meet the lads and we'll have a load of points and we're back on the wagon. And I remember we did it for another two months. And we got more into it. We could enter the health food shop and we'd buy these things called lentils because you didn't know what the hell a lentil was. And, you know, even a chickpea and you'd soak it and, you know, you'd work out how the hell do you eat these things or a pumpkin seed, what's that? Because these really weren't readily available in the supermarket at the time. Yeah. And um, it came to meeting the lads and we went in and you know, I remember I think it was um, a place called Captain America's in Temple Bar. So it was one of the main social areas in Dublin. And I remember one of the lads, Mick Harnett, bought a pint. There you are, Flinner. Welcome back. And I remember I got the pint. It was like I drank a little bit of it and I put it down. And I know something didn't feel right. So I didn't drink any more beer and we left early. And, and that was that. And from there, both of us decided, being identical twins, we tend to live in each other's pocket. So you tend to, you know, you're your own support system. You're your own little social network. You don't really... You're very content and very secure in that. We decided, I wonder what it's like to be an individual or a single Dave. So I remember saying to Dave, Dave, I'm going away on my own and you're not coming and I'm not coming back until I'm happy. And I bought a one-way ticket to Canada because we were born in Canada, so I had a Canadian passport. And Dave at the time, he was playing off scratch in golf. So he decided, okay, I'm going to go off to South Africa and try to be a golf pro. And that was it. We signed the papers and divorce happened. The twins broke up. Oh, Uh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, I, I guess we went kind of following our nose again. Like I went away yeah. to Canada and I was in, I went to Whistler, which was a cool ski resort. And when I was there, I was removed from my own social conditioning. So I had more social mobility, if you will, to kind of go, okay, at school I was a jock and in college I was kind of, you know, I played a lot of sport and I went out and, you know, I was one of the lads. Maybe I'm going to try to be something different. Maybe I'll try being a hippie or I'll try being maybe someone who's more gentle. Yeah, yeah, let's try that. Okay, let's try hanging out with the hippies. So I remember I was working up in a burger bar up in the mountain, um, you know, flipping burgers. But for whatever reason, I didn't feel like eating burgers. And I remember I used to spend my time, my free time down in the library reading vegetarian cookbooks. And I used to hang around with the other kind of nerds, really. And, and we'd discuss vegetables and we'd cook vegetables. And I had so much fun. I felt so at home. And, and I guess it was on this journey kind of exploring my social conditioning and what gave me a sense of meaning that I found out that we were much more, and I say we as in me and Dave, we were much more interested in health and happiness and kind of community, really. That's what kind of really resonated with us and gave us a great sense of purpose. How did you feel being away from him? 
it's weird, but I, I think when you've spent so much time with someone and they're such an integral part of you, it's almost like they're party even when they're not there. They're there in a weird way. And like as weird it was was when when we went away separate first, I remember that first week I'd kind of I didn't feel like buying meat. And I remember calling Dave the following week and kind of going, Dave, I think I'm the better twin now. I've decided I'm a vegetarian. Because there was no you didn't you didn't use social media, you checked your email yeah. maybe once a once a week most, and you had a hotmail email account. Mm-hmm. And I remember I'd organized a phone Dave via payphone and I called him and I, I told him I was I was much better than him. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. Dave said, Geez, you wouldn't believe it. I decided I was vegetarian two days before that. So I'm still the better twin. And it was kind of like that. We kind of, you know, we kind of went from being highly competitive and very curious was like, I wonder what happens Mm. if we go vegan and then from vegan, I wonder what happens if I'm a raw foodist. And then I wonder what happens if I start fasting and get into cleansing and enemas and all sorts of different things. So we kind Mm. of spent the next couple of years experimenting with diet and how, if we could reach enlightenment through the amount of kale we ate. (laughs) So we were, you know, experimenting with, how nutrition affected our well-being in essence and, and it was quite rough and raw and ready there was no program nothing we were following we were just literally curious and experimenting and we found out through eating a whole food plant-based diet we felt much more ourselves and more congruent and more energetic and healthier were there any pitfalls during that because I definitely have pitfalls through my own journey of, of nutrition of kind of being ahead of the curb and having too much kale and feeling really sick not really not not a sense of like the the actual physical aspect pitfalls were just that you're a bit weird you're a bit strange i remember i was tree planting up in northern canada where i used to get a helicopter to work and i was the only not only it was with a bunch of christians and i was the only person who wasn't a christian and i was a vegan and they had to cook weird food for me so it was you were you were a bit strange but i i think at that stage i i became kind of comfortable being a bit weird and maybe it just mm. became part of who i was and similarly when you were hitchhiking you know in lots of the strange places the different places in america there wasn't really food it was a food desert like you could go into a walmart and you come out with a, one tomato and an avocado and that was your lunch because it was just you couldn't find other food and you'd literally just hoe into the tomato and rip up the avocado and you know it was kind of rough but it was you know, you kind of made do with what, what I could find. And it was, it was great fun. What an adventure. And you said something really intriguing. You said, <clears> I'm not going to come back until I'm happy. What were you feeling at that moment when you decided to split that trip? I think I'd just finished university and I'd just done a master's. And, you know, I was kind of sold the idea that I should get involved in business and really be a productive unit of society. And whatever reason, it just didn't feel... It didn't feel like what I wanted to be at. So I, I guess I felt a sense of dis-ease. I felt like a sense of, I didn't feel myself. I didn't feel congruent. I didn't have a sense of purpose. I felt a bit lost. I felt a bit confused. And, you know, it just didn't, I felt like I wanted to just run away from it all. And mm. that's what I did. <laughs> you had a way to find yourself. <laughs> exactly. Like, I know it's a total cliche, but I think it gave me that opportunity to, experiment and tr- try to reinvent myself and in a weird way we left as these two we were doing male modeling at the time you know and we were very short back and sides we wear fancy shirts we were dave was very, we were playing semi-pro rugby we were we just finished university we were going places and then we came back mm. two to three years later you know long hair wearing polyester shirts i used to paint my fingernails we used to swim in the sea we didn't drink alcohol we did yoga and we loved talking about vegetables so for many people, and we used, to, you know, we came back with this dream of wanting to start a food revolution and using the means of a vegetable shop as the platform. 
so so for many people we were really strange we were weird it was kind of like what's happened to the lads like you know like uh, are they selling drugs out the back of the shop you know it was this kind of preconceived notion as the lads are doing wrong they have failed what's happening this type of thing but you know inside ourselves we were delighted we were having a ball you were really happy and how did you ah, manage to get people on board because a similar story which when I, I went to New York for five years and I really saw a different food scene over there but I saw a whole different scene when I was over there I mean I came from Portsmouth lived in London for a little bit and then went to New York and my eyes just shot open at all the different things going on especially food wise but I came back and I definitely was very much more alternative so I figured out what crystals were and all these different food groups which my mum would call peasants food groups like kale and you know all these things I hadn't really been open to because I'd never been around them but bringing them back definitely people had a big barrier up about 10 years ago to me talking about these things you know how did you manage as you said you want to start a food revolution but how did you manage to kind of bring people into your community in that sense when it really wasn't spoken about yeah and and even when we came back a lot of our friends in a weird way didn't want to be our friends they didn't necessarily come out and Flynn or I don't want to be your friend anymore it was just they wouldn't answer your calls and when you'd meet them they wouldn't know how to deal with you so we kind of realized we had to you know if we were going to sustain this we needed to create and this wasn't considered and we didn't read in a book it was more just genuine genuine intuition and just Mm -hmm. let's you know we need to and in a way like in the most selfish way why we started the business was we wanted to create an environment that supported us to live this way of life we discovered that gave us a great sense of meaning so i remember coming back to greystone so it was like 2003 and we had turned vegan i remember i knew of a friend andy keller he had turned vegan it was a friend's brother he was the only vegan i knew and you know it was a small town maybe ten thousand people and he was the one vegan and i remember calling gav and going hey gav any chance i could talk to andy he said what do you want to talk to andy for and it was like i just look let me talk to Andy and Andy gets on it was like how are you Andy uh Steve Flynn here Gav's mate yeah just wondering any chance we could meet up and talk about what it's like to be a vegan in Greystones so we met we met Andy and we met his friend um Andy Godfrey and we sat and we talked about what it was like to be vegan and in essence it was kind of like a little support system and, and immediately it gave us that sense of it's okay you can do this come on lads you're not that weird so you know often it said if you look at someone dancing at a party and, and the first person dancing isn't necessarily necessarily the crux of the most important it's the second person so mm. so suddenly there was a little bit more momentum a little sense of identity and once we started the shop you know we I guess we went to, you know, we grew up in Greystones. We went to university. And when we went into Dublin Fruit Market first, we used to get up at half four and drive our little red van into the fruit market. And if you've ever been to fruit markets, they're kind of like fraternities in a weird way. They're kind of, they're real, like it's passed down from generation to generation. And like, it's a real male orientated, real lad orientated culture. And it was like, you know, when we went in first, it was like, who the feck are these lads? You know, this type of opinion was like, you'd hear it like, I give them two weeks, I give them two weeks, this type of thing. Because we'd skip in so excited, go, oh, wow, look, this mangoes, oh my God, there's strawberries. We were so excited, such vegetable enthusiasts. But but over time- I love that I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I, and I think it was just true showing up and just, I, I guess, momentum that eventually- the lads started to kind of accept us. I think there was one key moment when we were working all the time, we didn't really have an opportunity to socialize. You know, you weren't mm. going out to parties. You were, you were working all the time. That was all we did. Mm. Uh, but there used to be, we discovered in Greystones, there was a lot of au pairs. So au pairs so that might come from Spain or Italy to come to mind different families, children. 
Uh, and we'd always meet these au pairs in the shop. And was like, oh, wow, hello, what's your name? Oh, great, Patricia. Wonderful. Hi, Patricia. I have the best thing ever for you to see. Have you ever seen Dublin Fruit Market? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, pick up at 4.30 a.m. And they go, what? Yeah, yeah, 4.30 a.m. I'll see you then. Yeah, great. Bye-bye. And you pick them up at 4.30 a.m. and you bring them into the fruit market. And you get to have a real nice chat with them. And then once you brought them into the fruit market, the fruit market was run by men. As soon as you brought in kind of an attractive woman, they were suddenly like, oh, geez, do you want, here's some roses, love. Do you want a mango? Do you want some strawberries? It was suddenly like they saw us in a whole different light. And it was almost like instantly we were accepted into the community. That's amazing. Yeah, which was a bit of and fun. And so but, like... I mean, but, bringing but, on to the community that you just said, that's just so, it's so important, isn't it? And that's obviously what helped you sustain that veganism is knowing that there was somebody else that you could relate to. So when we started, I did a degree and a master's in business and I was very much, you know, sold the idea of, you know, modern day capitalism and, you know, eternal growth, not eternal growth, but, you know, grow as much as you can to make profit, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd kind of thrown all that out the window. I wanted to use business as a vehicle for social change. I wanted to set it up as a charity because it wasn't about money. It was about really encouraging people to eat more fruit and veg, to, to come together, to have a laugh and to, you know, become healthier and happier. That was really the mission of our business. Uh, we did call it the happy pair, but I remember at the time there was a name I was really adamant to call it. It was, it was Flinner's Fruit and Veg for Social Change because our surname is Flynn. So we were, it was very much at the core of what we did. So we used to go around to local schools. We used to, we didn't really measure business success in terms of a modern day P&L or balance sheet. We typically measured our business success by, you know, as weird as it sounds, but the sense of vibe, the sense of atmosphere, the sense of that there was a joyous jubilance feeling around what we were doing that was so much. And I know this sounds very mm. esoteric or possibly a bit contrarian to much of modern day business, but to us, it gave such a sense of meaning and it was, it was so much fun. And I think we found out that when we were having fun, other people would often offer just to help, not for money, but just to be around it and to have a bit of, a bit of crack and a bit of, you know, just hang out. It was really, it was jubilant really really exciting because there was a sense of mission there was this greater purpose attached to it and slowly the business not the business but the sense of the community started to kind of gather around with other people in the the local community or the the kind of wider community that were kind of interested this would come in and they'd ask questions and it was from there that we started kind of doing health courses and it, it kind of has gone on from there I want to take a quick moment in between this podcast episode to talk to you about our fantastic sponsors because without them these episodes such as the happy pair would not be possible. The platinum CBD range from Columbia Care is made up of both oil and capsule forms. Rich tasting and easy to consume the products may help with everyday management of stress, anxiety, pain relief and sleep issues. I personally have been using their peppermint oil CBD just before I go to bed and I will honestly say it has made a real fundamental difference to my night's sleep. It's helped me sleep through the night allowing me to feel calmer before I drift off. Sometimes with our busy lives finding great products to help support our stress can make a real difference. I personally feel that the CBD market can be quite overwhelming when looking for CBD products. However, what drew me to Columbia Care was their scientific expertise surrounding CBD. The products are organic, non-GMO, 
THC free, that's the part of the plant that actually gets you high. And they're tested by independent laboratories to ensure quality and safety. So if you want to enjoy these therapeutic benefits of a premium CBD product, I would really recommend personally this range and brand. Of course, it's so important to find out what works for you. But for me, they have been fantastic. And luckily, they are very kindly giving away to my wonderful listeners 20% off. If you use the code LBWB20 and you add that into the checkout code on www.coal-care.uk and the code is LBWB20 for the 20% off this fantastic range. I really hope you can give it a go. Let me know if it makes a difference to you and I will keep you updated on how I'm getting on with it as well. Yeah, it's really gone on. I mean, you've got 40 products, all these online courses, you've got retail cafes, you've got a range, a large range of cookbooks, um, community of like 1 million people, and you really have grown your business, but also the community and people who follow you on Happy Pair. And I think that is something that I'm really personally, um, you know, interested in is community. And, and that's why we're a collective at the Be Well. And I think so many of us have really seen the importance of community over the last year because we were literally stripped from any sense of social interaction. But sometimes we can pull ourselves back from a community, which I think is really detrimental. So a lot of people that suffer with maybe anxiety or depression or any sense of, I don't know, a lot of people get social anxiety, but actually trying to push yourself into becoming a sense of community is really, really important for our mental health. Um, have you seen like the positive effects from being around such an amazing community and people that come in? Is anyone ever kind of quite worried to come in? And then once they kind of step over that fear, they really see the, the beneficial results and effects that it has on them. Yeah, yeah, I think I think community is such it's such a basic human existence. And I think loneliness mm. is kind of a bit of an epidemic at the moment. You know, we live yeah. in an environment where we're not only so disconnected from each other, we're often disconnected from our bodies, from our sense of, you know, moving from a sense of the environment. It's just it's I don't think it's an individual fault. I think it's modern day society and kind of the the undercurrent of yeah, the way of which we're encouraged to live, but we found through living in a beneficial, in a, in a community that supports health and wellness is so fulfilling and so much fun. Like even to give the context of how we started the courses, we, um, we used to do healthy kind of cooking courses because regularly people would come to the veg shop and Dave would be at the till and he'd go, they'd be buying a butternut squash and they'd ask Dave, how'd you cook it? And he'd tell them how to cook it and they'd go, oh great, they try it. And then they'd come back the next day, how'd you cook lentils? And from there, I used to be cooking in the kitchen. So we said, let's try some healthy eating courses and we do them and they'd be good laugh and people would enjoy the food. But we found it that didn't really, there was no real kind of sustaining change. And I remember mm. Dave was the till one day and this lady, Mary, came in and she said, um, you never believe it. I lost two stone on Weight Watchers. I was like, oh, wow, well done, Mary. Great job. And, and then Dave came up to me later and said, Steve, Steve, like people love measuring their improvement in health. I wonder, can we come up with a course where like, we can actually quantify like the impact of diet has on their health. And it was like, great idea, great idea, Dave, let's do it, great. 
And at the time, he was reading a book uh, by Dr. Dean Ornish, who proved in clinical trials he could reverse the indicators of cardiovascular disease. And I was like, I wonder would this work with Irish people, like in Greystones? So uh, we walked down to the local doctor, Brendan Cuddy, knocked on his door. How are you, Brent? Where the lads in happy pair? Just wondering, is there a nurse? And he said, yeah, Angela's next door. So we called into Angela and said, how are you, Angela? Where the lads in happy pair? We want to reverse heart disease. Are you in? And Angela kind of looked at us like as though we were crazy. And Dave said, we pay 50 quid. And she said, right, I'm in. Uh, so Angela showed up. So this was probably back about 10 or 12 years ago. And social media wasn't really prevalent. So we did the next best thing. We did posters and we put them around the shop. And they said, you know, like, you know, get healthy, reduce your heart risk, you know, skinny, sexy, free. And we had 20 people signed up. So these were like guinea pigs. They came in the first night and Angela measured their cholesterol, weight and blood pressure. And they came upstairs to us. And we, in essence, we were chefs. So we taught them how to cook. So we got them to taste, you know, maybe it was figs, maybe it was dals, maybe it was, you know, wholemeal pasta. It was just really like vegetable AA, vegetable anonymous in a weird way. It was getting them, you know, familiar with these different foods that they weren't. Because most people came along not because they were vegan or vegetarian. Most people came along because they were curious. They were bored. Mm. They didn't know what was going to happen because it was free. So we kind of really espoused the benefits of the vegetables for four weeks. So they came once a week and we put on um, videos with doctors, you know, explaining the science, why they should eat vegetables. But ultimately it came back to the simple practical thing of eat the vegetables. So we put them on a whole food plant-based diet for four weeks and we didn't know if it was going to work. And I remember the last night we had promised, you know, the sun, the moon and the stars, of course your cholesterol comes in. Of course, oh, it, everything will work. It's going to be perfect. Well, we didn't know it was going to work. And I remember on the last night, me and Dave sitting there like really nervous and really afraid and really kind of thinking that if this is this doesn't work, like our whole world is going to fall apart. Like I remember being really concerned. Uh, but after Angela had taken everyone's cholesterol weight and blood pressure, we kind of brought the results all together. And there was an average drop of cholesterol at 20%. Everyone lost weight. Everyone, Anyone with elevated blood pressure came down to a safe range. Um, and there was even two blind people, and they were able to see. You wouldn't believe what? it. What? The blind bit was a joke. <laughs> I was like, hang on, I need to put a clause in here somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but but I, I guess that kind of really... One, it, it showed the importance of lifestyle medicine. And two, it showed that sense of the collective. When you do mm. it together, we kind of were held to a higher standard. So following from that, the national papers, uh, newspapers wrote articles. Suddenly it got really, really busy. We didn't want to do courses all the time because we were still getting up at four o'clock going to the fruit market. We were working, you know, our day jobs too. And we didn't want to do courses all the time. So we built an online course. We didn't know how it was going to happen, but we managed to get it done uh, and not many people signed up. But over the last couple of years, we've had about 50,000 people. We've partnered up with kind of different medical experts. So gastroenterologists, cardiologists, bariatric GPs, dietitians, psychologists to kind of create different, just to really highlight the importance of lifestyle medicine and how it can, you can reverse so much of the modern ailments. And we've seen it firsthand. So it's, it's amazing to see that sense of the community when people come together around a share task, do it together, even if it's digitally that they can really have the ability to support each other to transform their lives. I think what I mean what an incredible story and I, I'm all about prevention and that's exactly what you guys have done exactly what you guys have done and and it's true it's so much harder to do things on your own. Ah, uh, we're, so we're like harder. we're a social group and social accountability accountability like I would not swim in the sea every day if it wasn't for friends and how we started swimming in the sea was 
we used to, we had young kids, not together, not me and Dave together, but we both had young children with our respective partners separately. Uh, and anyone with young kids, as they know, they typically wake up at all hours and I'd be down, me and Dave would be down, you know, walking them, you know, it could be at four in the morning, shh, go to sleep, go to sleep, shh, shh, in the buggy. And we live near enough to see. And I remember we were down one morning and we took a photo of the sunrise and we put it up on social media. At that stage, we were just using Twitter uh, and people kind of really engaged with it. It was a sense of hope and dawn and new beginning and creativity. So it was like, cool, geez, maybe I'll see you tomorrow, Dave, at the same time. Yeah, great. So we go down and, you know, we'd go and we'd see the sunrise together and we might take a picture. And some days we'd swim and some days we wouldn't. And we were down one uh, September morning. And it was kind of a manky day. It was cold. It was windy. It was damp, but there was a beautiful sunrise. And I was kind of at the edge of the cove, right by the steps. And I was lining up my my phone there, and I took my picture. It was like great. And I had my towel and togs in me, but there was no way I was swimming. Uh, but there was a fella in swimming, and I, I pointed at Dave and kind of went, "Look at your man. He's mad." And he, but he kind of got back. He kind of came out and walked up the steps, and he was wearing a tight pair of swimming togs. And he kind of stood there in kind of a big, you know, alpha male pose, and kind of looked at us in his tight togs and went. You're getting in, lads. And it was kind of like being challenged. And we were, you know, we went to all boys schools. We played a lot of rugby. We're very susceptible to macho challenges. We're a bit stupid that way. So it was like I banged my chest and went, yes, of course we are. And inside I was going, I don't want to go wet. I don't want to get cold. Why am I doing this? Uh, but I got in for a swim. And, you know, it was, it was freezing. But afterwards I felt quite pleasant. And I chatted out afterwards to, to this um this man and his name was Neil and um, you know, we had a lovely chat. And then the next day, then, then as he was leaving, he turned back and again with that big, same wide footed stance bangs on his chest and goes, see you tomorrow, lad. Same time. It was like, yeah. Uh, so, so we met him the next day and the next day, a friend, Caroline Barrington was in the beach and she joined us. And then the following day, this guy, Hugo, who was 18 and we didn't know just joined us. And then the next day we bought tea. So we had this suddenly a socially acceptable reason to stand around and have the chats and become more familiar with each other because we didn't know any of them. They were these were new people. These were strangers in essence, and we didn't know how long we were going to swim for. This was we started in September, and we kind of just kept in. We said we'll do it for the month of September and let's see. And I remember we got in on the first of October, and Caroline said, "Well, we paid our membership for October. Let's let's do October anyway." And we kept doing it. And the bit that sustained us wasn't the sense of you know euphoria from swimming in the sea. It was the sense of community and the sense of crack and the sense of togetherness. And we started over time kind of putting it up in social media and you'd have people from all around the country and then people from different countries come and join us like most days of the week. It was it was really fun and really exciting. And some days we'd, we'd a friend, Siobhan, she coined the phrase swim rise, like that we'd swim together at sunrise and we called it swim rise. And, and we, we put it up in social media that we were going to have a big one. And I remember the first time. Siobhan had the idea, let's let's do a public one, because we kept getting messages on Snapchat, people saying, I'd love to come join you. And you'd know it was someone who watched it from their bed. And, you know, they were, they were, Ireland can look very tropical in a two-dimensional form, but the reality is this was a cold breeze, it was damp, it was freezing, but it looked great on camera. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I remember it was, I think it was June or July, and I remember Siobhan had suggested, let's do a public swim rise. And I remember taking out my phone and going, right, this is it. Right, we're having a swim rise on Thursday. You're all invited. And this was a big hook. There's going to be free porridge and there's going to be tea. Everyone's invited. We're meeting at the happy pair at 4.30 a.m. And we put it out there. 4.30 a.m. Because sunrise in the middle of summer is at 4.50 a.m. Or 4.57 to be precise. 
Uh, and I remember we put it up on other social media platforms um, and we didn't know how many would show up. We thought, sure, 4.30 a.m. to swim in the sea, like, there's not going to be many. You know, it might be the usual crew and that'll be that. And I met David 4 a.m., you know, to make the porridge and to make the tea. And there was no little pot. So we said, actually, just make a big pot or whatever. You know, it's only oats. It'll be all right. And we made the pot of porridge and we made the tea and we walked out. There was about 300 people there. And we all walked down the middle of the road, carrying the tea, carrying the porridge. The sun rose. We made love on the beach. It was glorious. Okay, the made love bit was a joke, but uh, we had we had a great great fun and a great sense of you know just that the simple things often the free things in life can be most joyful. That sense of people who have a shared activity, that sense of excitement, and I wonder what's mm. going to happen. And uh, we met so many people, and over the years we've had ones with five hundred, seven hundred, a thousand people, and it's. It's wow. such a, it's such an enriching part of life, that sense of community and that sense of mm. the bit that, that makes us swim in the sea isn't the sea, it's the community and the sense of the togetherness, which is so enriching to all our lives. And, you know, at the moment, like in our swim rise group, there could be Linda and Daddy who are in their seventies down to, you know, Ali's in early twenties and sometimes we've teenagers. So you get a real, large variety in terms of demographic and huge variety of backgrounds like linda was once a nun you know neil's graphic designer you have musicians you have it's really diverse and very it's just yeah i love it and it's just so important because it makes you come out of yourself and your own head doesn't it when you're around so many different types of people and characters and also that something i find really important about a sense of community is that you're not just in your own social groups you're not just around the same opinions. You're really broadening all different people. And I think that is what's so important about a community is that there's yeah, so can, many different people and different like, opinions. Like if you look at a, a sustainable or a healthy ecosystem, one of the main mm. things is that it's diverse. It's really yeah. diverse. The more diversity, the more varieties of species, the more sustainability, the more resilient a community is. And if you look at a lot, a lot of the way modern day communities are set up, you know, we all go to school. What do we, who's in our class? It's the same age group. You know, you go to university, typically it's the same age group and typically they're private or they're expensive. So it's only a certain tier of society that can go. And I think if we do want to have more resilient lives, I think the more we can have social, social relationships with people that are various different ages various different backgrounds it really makes us become more empathetic it helps us become more holistic and more kind of rounded and more kinder happier humans like I know mm. having friends of various different age groups enriches my lives in so many different mm. ways and helps me appreciate like the wisdom of like say Linda and Daddy are in their 70s and just the wisdom the beauty and just the sense of reverence with which they live their life enriches my life in so many different ways and makes me appreciate like I feel young in their company yet when I hang around with someone who's in their 20s I feel like the owl lad so it's it's very you get to appreciate the kind of <clears throat> the transition of life definitely it's so important and I think a really big misconception around different ages is that a lot of people think that and they and they do that the elderly suffer most with loneliness, but actually it's the younger groups, it's the younger age groups of around 16 to 25 that are the most likely to suffer with this loneliness and not be part of a community. Yeah, yeah, because 
like even when we went to school, I remember in fourth year, we used to have to go visit the, the kind of nursing homes to go visit the elderly because they struggled with loneliness. But as you said, it's the, the younger generations, typically 16 to 25, that struggle with loneliness. And that's mm. largely down to, you know, digital living, unfortunately, media, you know, yeah. it, 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 it brings such opportunity. But at the same time, it really we've seen it through, you know, at times we've had 200 people working in our business and we've seen. Over the years, we've been in business now 17 years, but in recent years, we've seen a lot of the younger people can often lack the social skills. They they've kind of don't have the ability to small talk like it was just a basic skill back 15 years ago. And we've actually mm. physically seen it and we've seen people call in sick due to anxiety and it used to never happen. And now it's common. So it's become a lot more prevalent, the sense of the disconnect between the physical face-to-face interaction because it's as you know it's social media it's very easy to have you know maybe a hundred friends in social media but yet feel lonely and yet it's I think it's often said that like the two if you look at the blue zones there are two main factors that dictate the sense of longevity and often the sense of fulfillment in people's lives the blue zones for anyone who doesn't know they're the five areas in the planet where there's the longest living people there was a study done with National Geographic Dan Butner and a bunch of scientists and they found out there were five places in the world with the most amount of centenarians. So that's people who live over the age of 100. And they found nine lifestyle factors that predicated why they lived such long, happy, healthy lives. And the most important one was social interactions in the sense of community. And the second most important one was loose social interactions. So loose social interactions might sound weird and it doesn't mean loose sexual relationships. It means the sense of, do you say hello to the person who makes your coffee? Do you say hello to the person you walk by? Do you say hello to the postman or post lady? Do you say hello to the bus driver? Do you just, it's those little, like, those little small exchange, the exchanges are so important to our sense of social integration, our sense of belonging, our sense of place. Because in modern day society, it's not the absence of people around you that gives the feeling alone. It's just the absence of belonging. We kind of really want, it's, it's, it's inbuilt in our DNA to feel mm. accepted, to feel a part of something. It's, it's part of our survival. If you think about it, we evolved from the Sahara in Africa and it wasn't because we were the strongest or we were the fastest or we were the, you know, we were the quickest. It was because we had the ability to coordinate, to function as a tribe. And it was natural Mm. when one of us became isolated, we felt nervous, we felt anxious, we felt afraid because our survival was at risk. Something something much bigger and quicker would have come and eaten us. So it's built into us. And as we struggle with loneliness, the same physiological impact occurs on us. But I'm rambling anyway, so I'll stop. No, it's true though, because, you know, loneliness is likely to increase your risk of death by 26%. Yep, I do. Twenty-six percent, and loneliness, like living alone. So these are just some stats that I've I've got from some, some big um, meta-analysis. But living alone and poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking fifteen cigarettes a day. Yeah, I even- mean that's it's terrifying. I mean, there's a whole list here, which I'm not going to completely bore everybody with, with a stack because everyone who listens to Live Well Be Well knows I love to put in statistics, but there's just a couple and it's, it is so important. And it's the small things that, and I do it, I do it all the time that I'm on my phone when I'm outside walking. So those small social interactions, you know, I always make sure that, you know, I know I've just moved to a new area. So I've become very, close already with people that make my coffee every morning because you know they're the first people that I see in the beginning of my day but generally day to day I'm normally like on my phone doing an email or responding to somebody I'm not actually off my phone walking so those small interactions you actually miss so many because of this device that's stuck to our, our hands and our ears all day and that's 
you know, you and I maybe didn't grow up like that, but the younger generation are all growing up with, you know, the connection being being a phone. Yeah, I think I think for any like, you know, even if you look at a governmental level in the UK in mm. 2018, there's now a minister for loneliness because it's such a it's so prevalent in modern day society. But I think for anyone listening who wants to try to cultivate more community, which we all do, I think first thing is to yeah. be aware that you're not alone. You're not weird wanting to have friends. It's a physiological basic need it's the same way as food as water as water as as shelter it's we all want to belong we all want to be accepted and you know often when I bring my children there they're they're four eight and eleven now but once I bring them to the playground when they were younger they'd all just run up to someone they go hi can I be your friend and they made a friend and we'd be leaving and May would say dad dad can can Paula come and play and I'd go who's Paula she goes my new best friend and it's just like that but in modern day society, when you meet someone, it's like, hi, what do you do for a living? And we're immediately like judging. Yeah, yeah, we're immediately judging each other. But we forget that underneath that we're all like three year olds that just want to be accepted, all just want to feel loved, that all want to, a sense of belonging. And I think first thing is to be aware that everyone else is as insecure as you, even if they have mm. beautiful hair, even if they have a big car, even if they're pretending that they understand life. No one does. We are all insecure and we're all putting on a, a great show. So I think that's a really important thing. And number number two, start saying hello to people. It's amazing how it typically sa- it's estimated that it takes about 30 hours to build a friend, someone that you trust and you can share your more vulnerable aspects of life. And if you think about all your friendships, they all started with a hello. So, you know, start saying hello to people. If you don't like people, get a dog. Because if you have a dog and you're out walking with your dog, typically dogs stop and they sniff each other. And typically when they're sniffing each other, you got to say something to the other person. Otherwise you feel awkward. So you go, oh, what's your dog's name? And they might go, Molly. And you might go, my dog is Freddie. And suddenly you have a chat. And before you know mm. it, suddenly you meet them the next day and hello, Molly. Hello, Freddie. And, you know, over time you start developing friendship. And, and similarly, mm. it doesn't necessarily need to be humans to feel to feel that sense of belonging. Having a dog is so... There's this, you walk in the door and they're suddenly wagging their tail. They're shaking. They're so happy to see you that there's this feeling of like, I'm needed. I'm wanted. And when you're sitting there on the couch, there's something to pet and look after. And it's beautiful. So it doesn't necessarily have to be if you're an introvert. You know, you you also have a need. Like it's, sorry, I'm getting very excited here because I just love this topic. But but it's, it's something that it's not exclusive to extroverts, the need to have these social interactions. Mm. It's equally that introverts um, need it too. So it may not necessarily that you need to talk to as many people, but even saying hello, even trying to strike up those, what might seem frivolous conversation about the weather. Um, this nice guy that we interviewed recently, he kind of talked about that. Having those, those, cause in the UK, like Ireland, you guys love talking about the weather and those conversations can seem very, you know, superficial and very frivolous. But he almost said it's like, it's like having a conversation. It's like having, you know, almost like a, a dance to kind of go, do I want to get to know you any better? Do I trust you? Do I not trust you? It's, mm. it's this type of a conversation. It's do I want to go deep with you or do I not? And it's that opportunity to talk about something that's safe, that's shared, that's just in your environment that you're not actually showing any vulnerability. Yeah, that is so. I love that doing a dance to get to know someone a bit better. I mean, we're all talking about the weather at the moment, Steve, because oh, we have the summer. Or maybe we're talking about the <laughs> pandemic, or maybe we're talking about something, you know, that type of thing. But, like, what do you do when you, because I'm obviously, you make a really good point, and quite a few people have made this to me recently. I have had some friends who are, who are struggling um, themselves, and they've taken some time off social media because, you know, they're all, very much aware that everyone's life seemed to be fantastic and theirs doesn't. And actually what I'm 
you know, what we're relaying is people's lives are a smidgen of what they share on social media. And actually everybody is insecure and everyone's struggling in some shape or form and some much more than others. But when you have a really down day, which obviously I haven't seen yet from your social media this week, but when you do have a down day, you do post some amazing content on there and a really kind of insightful and like a philosophical way of of, of reapproaching a situation. What do you do when you wake up and you just think, I just don't feel good today. I just not got that positivity. Like how do you carry on into a more positive mindset? That's quite a hard one. Yeah, I think, I think maybe an inherent sense of trust and kind of Mm. belief that things will get better. And often like say, for example, often in winter, like the sunrise is a lot later, so it might be at 8 a.m. or 8.30 a.m. as opposed to in summer, it's at 4.50 a.m. So typically I'd get up around five and I might agree that I'm going to meet Dave and Raj for training. And I might wake up, my alarm goes off and I'm like, oh God, I don't want to get up, I'm tired. You know, the kids are in the bed all night, I'm exhausted, I had a busy day yesterday. But it's like, I said I'd meet Dave and Raj, I'd better show up. I'd be rude if I don't show up because I said I'm showing up. So I show up say hello to the lads and suddenly even with just chatting with the lads I feel you know there's this I've kind of gotten out of my own misery or my own myopia and uh, then we go we do a little bit of exercise and it's amazing true that collective sense of exercise together even if I don't feel like it even if I just start doing you know a tiny little bit of a jog or something suddenly it's like I don't feel that bad and before you know it afterwards you're going geez that was great I actually feel grand now and and slowly but surely I've kind of gotten out of my own isolation or my own you know, absorb self-absorption and suddenly I can see there's other people around me and suddenly I feel, I remember that I'm part of a greater, you know, the dance, the magic of life, the kind of interplay of all this wonderful existence that we call life. And I think the more you can get out of your own head and I find swimming in the sea or maybe it's a cold shower if you don't have a sea or maybe it's some form of exercise, it brings you back to the present moment it's like mm. you're suddenly taken out of your head and you come out and you go I can't remember what I was worried but like suddenly I can hear the birds more and suddenly it actually looks like a nice day and there's a feeling of hope in my heart I don't know what it is so I think the more we can do activities that bring us back to the present moment the more we have a sense of hope in our heart I believe mm. yeah and you've mentioned a word quite a lot throughout this episode actually which is curiosity or being curious yeah and I think turning some sometimes we turn off our intuition to being curious but actually I think that's one of the most important things is to stay curious and actually follow that curiosity the more we're like curious about life the more we're kind of you know we're born with this natural innate sense of curiosity and often through might be the education system it might be our upbringing we can often quell it and tend to think logic and reason and kind of override our intuition but I think it's it's not exclusive that we should listen to our intuition but I think it's a it's a it's also a very interesting guide that can take you down roads that you might necessarily think you would have gone but when you go there it's like oh my god what fun you know, the way, and it was, even when, when I was up working in the fields earlier, it was a friend, Mark Lawler, who he, he's, he's a tree surgeon and a homeopath. And he was saying he finds one of the best cures for anyone who's feeling down is manual labor. That as humans, we're, we're kind of inbuilt with these wonderful hands that are very, we're very good and very skilled at using them. And it's often, if you do feel down, it's amazing, simple thing like cutting the grass or doing some form mm. of work where you can actually visit visibly see the results of your labor suddenly there's a feeling of satisfaction and a sense of it can kind of often take you out of our cerebral you know non-stop chatter to suddenly 
I know I'm just putting a shovel in the ground and moving dirt, but you know, there's something meditative about it. And before mm. you know it, you forget what you're worried about. Completely. And there's something really grounding to that as well, because you're physically touching something, you're doing something to ground yourself. And as you say, get out of your mind. I find that when I'm doing something physically, yeah. if I'm outside nature, I'm connecting to myself again, more to my body, which is actually when you're not connected to your body, it's quite hard to to actually realize that, I think. And I think that is a, that's a really good, good point. And it actually brings me into my to my ending question, which I ask all my guests, Steve. Um, and I feel like you've actually summed up throughout the whole conversation. But if you could give me a one line on this, um, I'd love it. It's how do you live well and be well? How do I live well and be well? Um, okay, if I'm to give practical tips, I think for anyone listening to try to eat more plant-based foods, because most people don't get their daily intake of fiber. And it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not like you have to be a vegan doing Tai Chi yoga and eating your turmeric lattes. It's simply just eat more fruit and veg because nine out of 10 people typically are deficient in fiber. And fiber is known as a prebiotic, which might sound complicated, but in essence, it means it's the food that the bacteria in your microbiome need to create more of the healthier strange to make your, and 70% of your immune system exists in your microbiome. So the more you can eat more fruit and veg, that'll have a real beneficial thing. Number two, exercise. We forget we're mammals. We tend to think being top of the food chain, we're not mammals, we're above it. We're not part of nature, but we're intrinsically linked to nature and we're fully interdependent. So I think the more we can remember that we're mammals and that movement makes us feel good, uh, you know, our, our, our cardiovascular system has a pump, but our lymphatic system, which is the brains of our immune system, doesn't have a pump. And the only way we can pump our lymph around our body is through movement. And a simple basic metric is to try to aim to get 10,000 steps per day, even if you don't achieve it. Movement or exercise in any shape or form, simply walking can have a really positive effect on your mental health. I think point number three, to remember that we're all insecure humans and that life or friendship makes life richer you know everyone knows someone that's lived to the age of 90 they didn't do yoga they didn't know what the hell kale was they smoked a pack of cigarettes a day they loved drinking whiskey they loved gambling but there was a lot of joy a lot of laughter a lot of friendship in their life so i think you know health isn't just yoga it isn't just turmeric lattes it isn't chaga mushrooms it's laughter it's joy these are superfoods that we really make us feel good mm -hmm. and i think they're kind of things that really help me feel feel good a lot wow it's like I gave you that question beforehand <laughs> <laughs> which anyone listening I honestly didn't um, how fantastic I love the fiber part I mean I would love to have talked to you more about nutrition but um I mean I'm just just think it's so infectious what you've built as a brand you both of you and just to share how you've done that and the importance of community today I think is something we don't talk about so I'm really glad that we, we actually did base it but thank you for bringing in a bit of nutrition knowledge at the end because I always love that um, <laughs> so, to, so to the listeners they all love that as well um thank you so much for bringing so much insight onto the podcast today Steve I'm sad I never met the other twin Dave but um he's off to be married in 15 days so yeah. he's got a lot of wedding on his hands but do you please <laughs> Please pass them on my love and um, hopefully I'll meet you in, in person soon, whether it's for a cold water swim in Dublin or whether you're Oh, come any time. Come join us any time. I think we're over <laughs> in London. The end of the month, I think we're over. Oh, well, please so, let me yeah. know. Please yeah, let me you know message. when you're over. Do, please. And for anyone who isn't already following you, 
Um, please, can you let them know where they can find you? Yeah, there's this thing called the internet. If you type the happy parent, sorry, that sounds facetious, but uh, you can find us and we, we tend to enjoy social media because we find it a good outlet for, I, I guess, to try to express ourselves and we find mm. it fun. So you can find us on most social media platforms or on our website. But Amazing. thank you. This, this was a lovely chat. And thank you so much for all you've created. Thank you. It was, oh, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. If you did enjoy the podcast, please do leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're listening on. And lastly, I just want to say, if you haven't bought your tickets for our workshop next week on October the 6th, please do. We are opening our doors to the UK public and we really would love to see you all there. The workshop is focused around creating resilience and dealing with rejection, which is something we ultimately all need in our toolbox for day-to-day lives. We would love to see you there and tickets are only £5 available via the Be Well Collective's website, which you can find in the show notes. And until next week, I hope you will live well and be well. <laughs>